1: So they would sit there and grieve and moan and wail with the people who are broken who are hurting imagine being those sisters you could have spared me all of this pain i didn't have to suffer this way we've seen you do it for complete strangers i thought you loved us and they watched the brother die and then they watched the body being led to burial, and they think that there's just no hope. There's no hope left in any of this. Jesus never came for them. When they needed him the most, he doesn't show up. This is the emotion that they're feeling, and imagine the thoughts that must have been going through their mind that there's no possible way this can be happening to us right now. I mean, we shared a meal with this guy, We are close. There's no possible way this is happening. There's no possible way he's going to die. There's no possible way he's going to stay dead. There's no possible way that Jesus doesn't show up. It's a grieving process, a phase, or a stage in the grieving process that we call denial. If you have your notes, I want you to open those up. We're taking an outline as we go through this sermon, but on the right-hand side, there are five stages of grief that we're going to go through. And this process, this denial process, is built into our emotional fabric, because without it, we would just implode. And so this is a way that we cope. It's a coping mechanism to deflect the pain, to deflect the emptiness, to deflect the sorrow for those moments. There's no way this is happening to me. There's no way that it's cancer. There's no way that I'm getting this phone call right now. There's no way that God would allow this to happen to me. There's no possible way. It's a transition moment in your life as you're adjusting to the sorrow and the loss. These sisters are experiencing this, watching and waiting for Jesus to show and he never comes. Look at what happens with this confrontation and the way Martha responds to this. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you relate? We waited, you never showed. What more do you want from me? What more can I do? I opened my home to you. We shared a meal. You sat at my table. I served you. I did whatever I could to make sure you were comfortable, and now in my time of need, you didn't show up. If you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Why am I not deserving of the same miracle? Why can I not have the same hope that you gave to so many others? Where were you when I needed you the most? And This is the second stage of grief that we go through. It's called anger. And all of that emotion and all of that pent-up sorrow and all of that pent-up emptiness and all of that pent-up grief, there's a bullseye that is on Jesus' chest at this moment. And all of it is being aimed at Jesus in the form of anger because it's easier for us to deal with anger than it is to deal with the loss. It's another coping mechanism. It's a stage of grief that we have to go through. And so maybe you or someone that you know is dealing with this stage of their grief, their grieving process, this anger You have to understand it's something natural that they go through in the process of coming to terms with their loss and with that sorrow. And so Martha, all of her pent-up frustration and all of her rage and all of her anger and all of her pain and all of her fear and all of her doubts, it comes out at Jesus in this moment. I trusted you. This is your fault. You did this to me. Where were you when I needed you the most? Naomi, in the scripture, in Ruth, we see this happening to Naomi. She comes back home from Moab, after she's lost her husband and her two sons, and they see her approaching, and they say, Naomi, is that you? And she says, don't ever call me that again. Her name meant delight. Don't ever call me that again. From now on, you call me Mara. My new name is bitterness, because God has dealt harshly with me. You remember Job, the story of Job and his wife, is watching Job suffer, watches Job's livelihood taken, watches all of the children perish in a storm and then he's sitting in the dust mourning with his friends and he's scraping sores boils blisters off of his skin with broken pieces of pottery and Job's wife says just curse God already just tell him how frustrated you are just tell him what's built up and pent up inside of you just be honest with him curse God and then die and be done with it because God has taken everything from you Have you been there, in that place, in your heart? Are you maybe in that place this morning because God does not intend to abandon you to that place? God does not intend to leave you there. He wants to draw you from that place. So look at what happens next. Look at how Martha responds to this. Verse 22, Lord, if you had been here, My brother would still be alive, verse 22, but even now, she says, even now, even after I waited for you to come and to heal him, watching his breath leave his body, even now, even after having to bury him while we waited for the resurrection, even now, though he's in the tomb, even now, I believe, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you, even now. What more do you want from me? Do you want faith? I'm telling you I have faith. Do you want me to offer sacrifices? I'll offer sacrifices. Do you need me to give something? I'll give it. Do you want me to serve you? I'll serve. What more do you want? What is it going to take for my miracle? You name it and I'll do it. This is the third stage of grief that we call bargaining. And oftentimes this stage manifests itself in the very beginning. Before the death actually occurs if if you'll just heal my loved one then i'll never miss a sunday if you'll just heal my loved one then i'll teach sunday school or i'll begin to give to missions or whatever it might be If you'll just if you'll just and after the death the bargaining becomes thus if you'll just take my pain away I'll do anything I just don't want to feel this anymore Even now I know that whatever you ask, God will give it. Even now, I really, truly believe this. She confronts Jesus. There's this confrontation, and she's so angry, and she's so bitter, and it comes out, and it's so frustrating. But even in the midst of that, she says, even though you've let me down, even though I feel so disappointed, even now I believe you can do something. Even now I want to believe. Martha. Look at how Jesus replies. Jesus said to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. She says, Jesus, listen, I get it. I understand he's going to rise again. I understand there's going to be a resurrection. I understand that we're not going to be dead forever. I understand you've taught this over and over again. I've listened to you teach this. In John chapter 5, Jesus actually said that there's going to be a resurrection. Don't marvel at this, he says, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. She says, I get it. I understand the doctrine. I get it up here, but it doesn't help my heart. I'm not looking for a Bible study right now. I need you to help me. If you're sick, you don't want a medical journal. You want a doctor. If you're on trial, you don't want a law book. You want a lawyer to stand and represent you. And when you are dead, you don't want a doctrine. You don't want a Bible study. You need a risen Savior to stand before you. And this is exactly what Jesus says here. Listen, there's a a lesson that you have to learn. And there are some lessons that cannot be learned in a book. They cannot be learned by listening to a lecture. There are some lessons that you have to learn by walking it. And now Jesus gives this amazing declaration. He says to Martha, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He declares to her, I am the resurrection and the life. To a hungry crowd, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. To a thirsty crowd, Jesus says, I'm the living water. To people who have been beaten down by false shepherds, he says, I'm the good shepherd. To those false shepherds, he says, I'm the door of the sheep people who are lost he says i'm the way to people walking in darkness he says i'm the light of the world and to those who are suffering with sin and sickness and death he says i am the resurrection and the life in this moment he says to martha martha it's so easy for you to get distracted i know this in your nature it's so easy for you to get consumed with what's happening around you you're so consumed and distracted right now by a tomb That you fail to see that life is standing in front of you. I am what you're looking for. I am what you need. I am the lesson that you need to learn. I am the hope that you've been waiting for. I did not show up late. I did arrive in your place. I arrived here for you. I am what you're seeking after. It's not behind the tomb. I am what you need and what you want. I'm the resurrection And the life. Look at what Martha does here. Or excuse me, I want to point this out. Look at what Jesus says first. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he looks to Martha and he says this. Do you believe this? Another translation. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Yes, I understand and I know your heart is broken. I understand that there's a heaviness and an emptiness. I understand that this doesn't make sense to you. I understand that you feel disappointed that I didn't show up sooner. But look me in the eye, Martha. Do you trust me? Do you trust me with your pain? Do you trust me with your emotion? Do you trust me to come through when it matters the most? Because I get it. There's a tomb with your brother back there. But I'm here now Will you trust me. Martha, verse 27, she says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. I believe. I trust you. Verse 28, we're going to see the devastation that this death has brought to the family. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here. The same exact words spoken by Martha, but the posture is different. The same exact words coming from her lips, the same exact doubt being expressed, but the posture is different. Martha comes and stands and confronts Jesus face to face. Mary comes with that raw emotion and those feelings and that brokenness and that emptiness, and she falls at his feet as if to say, none of this makes sense to me. I don't know where to turn. Nothing else can help. Only you can make a difference. Only you can make sense of this. And so there she is in a pile of mess at Jesus' feet. If you were here, I don't understand. The word weeping means to wail uncontrollably. She cannot be consoled. She is weeping, yelling, screaming, grieving the loss of her brother. This is our fourth stage of grief. It's called depression. It's that time where the loss seems so severe and so great and so grand that you feel like you'll never be able to break through it. It's to be completely and utterly broken, so much so that you don't know if you can go on functioning. The thought of having to bear another day with that kind of pain and that kind of emptiness almost seems unbearable. That moment where you would just rather go be with your loved one than to have to continue on living without them, that's where she's at. She's weeping, broken, uncontrollably crying out before God, crying out at the feet of Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see about the way the Hebrews grieved is they had their third process of the grieving process, which is called shloshim. And what they would do is for the 30 days after the burial, they wouldn't allow any music in their homes. There would be no entertainment. There would be no dancing. There would be no visitors. There would be no distractions. All they were to do for the next 30 days is just to focus on their grief. They didn't try to avoid it. They didn't try to hide it. They didn't try to pretend like it wasn't there. And in our culture, what we do is we try to help people take their mind off of their loss or to think about something else. And we distract ourselves with movies and television and cell phones and Facebook and all of these things. In these moments, all that was supposed supposed to happen in the life of the mourner is just to mourn, surrender, embrace all of those emotions, all of that emptiness, all of that heartache, all of that terror. You just embrace it all and go through it all at once. It's like a band-aid being pulled off. You don't deny any of it. You cry out to God. You shake your fist if you have to. You be honest with where you're at and you wait for God to show up. This is where she's at. This is where her heart is already. Now, what's interesting is after that 30 days of grieving, if it was your parent that had passed away, there was a fourth stage called avalut, And what would happen is for a year, the mourner would go to the synagogue twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening to offer these prayers. Let me read them to you. Glorified and sanctified be God's great name throughout the whole world, which he has created according to his will. May he establish his wisdom in your lifetime and during your days and within the life of the entire house of Israel speedily and soon and say amen. May his great name be blessed forever to all of eternity, adored and lauded. The name of the Holy One, blessed be he beyond all blessings and hymns and praises and consolations that are ever spoken in the world, and say amen. May there be abundant peace from heaven and life for all of us and for all of Israel, say amen. He who created peace in his celestial heights, may he create peace for us and for all of Israel, say amen. And so they would go morning and evening and pray these prayers. And do you know what? In the beginning, they probably didn't really even feel it. These were the last prayers in the world that they wanted to pray. It didn't mention grief, it didn't mention mourning, it didn't mention the loss of their loved ones. All this was is a reminder of the greatness and the majesty of God. These prayers were meant to take their mind off of their grief and to put it on the one who can actually comfort their grief. It was a reminder of God's goodness and his greatness. And so here is Mary at the feet of Jesus. And maybe she's there and she says, I've been here before. This is where it seems like the world makes sense. This is where everything seems to have direction and purpose and meaning. And I don't even feel like being here right now because you disappointed me so. But here I am and I cannot leave until something changes in me. If I have to keep praying these prayers, I will keep praying these prayers until my heart follows. I don't want to be in this place anymore. Why come to Jesus with your suffering? Because the scripture promises, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Because the scripture says, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He's sent me to bind up the brokenhearted." The scripture says this, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, and with recompense, and he will come and he will save you. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer from the end of the earth. I call to you when my heart is faint and overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you've been my refuge, my strong tower. This is why we come to the feet of Jesus. This is why maybe we come with whatever we have left, whatever faith we can muster, whatever hope we can muster. We bring ourselves to the feet of Jesus and we collapse in his presence and say, I need you to change this heart. I don't want to be trapped here forever. I love the beauty with which Jesus responds to Mary's desperation. And we see in Jesus an identification that he has with you and I, the mourner, Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, wailing uncontrollably, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The word deeply moved is the word that would be used of a bull that is snarling and snorting, ready to charge. The word troubled means the stirring of waters. And so here we have this description of how Jesus feels when he sees the brokenness of his loved ones over the consequences of sin, over death behind that tomb. He's angered. He's frustrated. There's a stirring that is happening within him. He's snarling at the enemy, that last enemy that is called death, and he's going to act. Look at what happens here. Verse 34, he said to them, "'Where have you laid him?' they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept when he saw their mourning. Jesus wept when he saw that they could not be comforted. Jesus wept and his heart went out to those who were grieving. Listen to me, dear saint, this morning the scripture says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He understands your heart. He understands what you're going through. And he weeps, he mourns when you weep. And when you mourn, you have not been left alone. There's an identification that happens here. So verse 36, so they said to him, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, we're going to see the resurrection now. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, It was a cave, and a stone lay against it, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there would be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Again, the superstition of the Hebrew people, the spirit only hovers for three days. It's the fourth day. It's too late. It's hopeless. Medically speaking, the fluids in the body would have settled. The back of the body would look like it was bruised from the settling of the fluids. Gases would have filled up the cavity of the belly. The eyes would have been sunken in. The top of the body would look like jaundiced. And then the organs themselves would have begun to melt because of the state of decomposition that the body would have been in. She says, it's too late. It's hopeless. There's nothing that can happen now. Have you ever felt that? It's too late, Jesus. The pain is already here. The body is already buried. It's too late for me now. I'm going to feel this pain forever. I'll never shake this free. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the count of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and set him free. Unbind him and loose him, let him go. Did I not tell you that if you would just believe that you would see the glory of God? What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, death does not have the final word. Your loved one may be buried, but the story isn't over yet. There is no grave that can separate that loved one from my love. There is no stone so heavy that I cannot roll it away. There is no tomb so strong that I cannot break it into pieces. There are no grave clothes too mighty that I cannot loose them from. I am the resurrection. This is Jesus' mic drop moment. This is what he's doing. This is his final miracle before he resurrects himself in the bodily form. His final miracle. He drops the mic. He says, I have the final word over death. Death will not win, I win.
0: Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.ccciv.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.